It's episode three of the Improv London podcast. This week's guest is Michael Such. This ain't gonna be easy. Welcome to episode three of the Improv London podcast. Having started from the idea that I'm making this for myself, and if anyone else likes it, that's a bonus. Which is still true, and it's still the conversations that I have with people that is the really important bit. But it turns out I've been seeking validation from the numbers of people that have listened to this podcast. So, thank you very much to the 75 people that have listened to episode one with Steve Rowe. And thank you very much to the 41 people that listened to last week's episode with Stephen Davidson and Christelle Claudette. You've made my life valid, and if that means I'm a sad person because I need your validation. Well, that's just the truth and that's that's what improv's all about. Anyway, this week's guest is great. Michael, I've only had only met once before at a Hoopla improvised rap workshop, but I think you'll find what he has to say about improv and role playing and the spaces in between really interesting. I know I really enjoyed listening back to this conversation. <laughs> anyway, here we go. Okay. Do you want to do a sound test? Um, not really. <laughs> okay. This is this is the sound test. Yeah. Um, sure. Yeah. So no. Uh, yeah. Do you want to just explain to me uh, what you've given me here? This is really interesting. Yeah. So there's a guy in Australia. I can't remember his name. Who started a blog called A Thousand Plus Coffees. Right. Uh, with the aim of having a coffee with all of his like thousand plus Facebook friends, and he's making a blog about it. So I thought that would be like a nice idea just to do as a project. Uh, so I've started on that. So. Uh, I don't have a blog. I don't blog. Uh, so I think the way I'm recording it mainly is getting people to make me like small pieces of art on these little like mini canvases. Wow. Uh, and then it's not up now, but uh, I'm going to put them all up on my wall as sort of uh, uh, a nice reminder of all the people I know, all my Facebook friends. Uh, I've done about 25 people, I think, so far. Uh, yeah, it's really interesting because I think just the... Just the act of like, because of how Facebook friends work, you can add someone after meeting them, meeting yes. them a couple of times, or maybe meeting them once at a Hoopla improvised rap workshop, for example. Yeah, yeah, on sale now, only forty-five pounds. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, or you know, only meet them in group situations is other common thing, and so the act of uh, sitting down with someone. Even for like half an hour, just what just the two of you, uh, and is really good and useful because it like moves your relationship on a different way. That's really interesting because that's also what I'm doing with this podcast. <laughs> right, okay, okay, yeah. It's like um, people that I've met that I like um, that share this interest in improv, but as you say, you sort of get to meet them in a group. And maybe you'll chat them a little bit afterwards. Um, but the actual chance to sit down for sort of 45 minutes to an hour, um, talk shop, um, that's a really, no, it's really interesting, the parallels between the two. Yeah, sure. Um, cool. Well, I'm, I've got this little square of white canvas and I'm going to consider what I'm going to, uh, 
going to put on it. That's really exciting. Thank you very much for that. Cool. Um, right. There are loads of things we can talk about. Sure. Um, but what I'm, what I thought would be interesting to do is to explore um, improv and kind of role playing and story gaming and things like that, mm -hmm. and sort of what your personal journey is, where you started off, and then kind of explore how the two are maybe similar and different, and then talk about your collaboration with the nursery and open roads, and we'll just, you know, wherever it takes this sort of thing. But yeah, sure, that sounds good to me. And I'm gonna try and talk as little as possible because I realize I have a finite amount of things that I say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really worried that every single recording I've done, I've said the same things. Just goes to show I just have 12 things that I say, so I'm trying not to use those up. Yeah, that's fair enough. So, um, which was it for you first? Where did you start with, I don't know, the realm of imagination? The realm of imagination, I think it's like maybe three years ago, I think I started with role-playing uh, and I still, uh, the main group I go to is a London indie RPG meet. Um, so that was the beginning of my journey in some sense. And then two years ago, I started doing improv. Um, I started out with Imprology, Romy Bertrand, and trained with him for a while. Uh, and I've also done courses with the nursery and with Hoopla as well. And a few random jams and drop-ins like everyone else. Cool. So uh, when you say role-playing, what, what do you mean by role-playing? That's a good question. Um, because the indie meet is quite a very specific part. It's... Subgenre, yeah. Subgenre, so yeah. not only, yeah, yeah. A subgenre of a subgenre is exactly what I was thinking. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think. Uh, so there basically there's sort of two types of role playing really in in very broad terms. This is so basically everything I say in the next ten minutes, like someone on the internet will hate me massively. So. Please don't take it as a definitive account. So I think there's broadly, there's two types, um, which is tabletop role-playing and live action or role-playing games or LARP. Both of those are about uh, creating a story uh, or not necessarily a story, creating an experience with a group of people like you might do in improv. Uh, the, diff the massive difference between improv and all role-playing is that it's not an audience. Um, so tabletop role-playing is where you sit around a table with a group of friends and invent a story and you tell a story like you might retell the memory of your going out last night. So you'd speak the dialogue and then you just describe the actions. So you might say, I, I got uh, in present tense. So you, you say, like, I go over the table and pick up the glass or something like that. Uh, live action role playing is where you're inhabiting the characters. I think the most, the best, most concise definition of that is really uh, make believe for adults. Cool. So, like when you were a kid, you played uh, cowboys and Indians, and yeah, you dressed up and ran around. Uh, it's ex exactly like that, but done by adults. Uh, so there was actually a Western LARP, which I think is run a couple of times in Czech Republic, called, um, oh, no, what's it called? 
you can edit this bit. <laughs> All right, anyway. Uh, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Um, Hello Mills, that's what it's called. Yeah. So it's like that, but obviously doing it as an adult uh, changes the themes and the focus. Mm. Uh, and then I can sort of dig into sub-genre if you want me to dig into sub-genre. Sure. Well, when you... Um, because I imagine that people's route into role-playing is... Well, I mean, some people probably go straight to indie gaming. Yeah. Did you go straight to indie gaming, or did you start with trad gaming? Because I've broken down the definitions even further there. Yeah, sure, we yeah. We should really explain what trad gaming is first, shouldn't yeah. we? Yeah. Um... Yeah, I meant to say that, so for tabletop role-playing games, the sort of canonical and first, really, example is Dungeons and Dragons. Um, so that is a what sometimes called a traditional role-playing game. Um, they're the sort of more mass market and tend to focus on, like, fantasy or science fiction themes. And it's kind of, like, similar to movies, really, like, you know, Lord of the Rings is a massive movie, and comic book movies are massive movies. Uh, those, um, in some ways, are defined by two other things, apart from the traditional things. One is they have tend to have a larger number of rules, and rules involving rolling dice, and, like, how you... And what that's used for is a lot is, like, combat, so... Um, say your character goes over and tries to hit an orc with a sword, then there'll be some set of rules to determine whether you do that or not. And then the other thing is, I think is important in the traditional and indie role-playing game divide is uh, presence of a game master. So in Dungeons & Dragons, each player... Um, well, there's... Player plays a um, just their character... Uh, and t generally they're like a, a group of people doing a thing together, like three or four players. And then there's someone else who's playing the, the game master or GM, and they're responsible for describing the rest of the world like and the environments they encounter. And it's, some ways, it's like a dialogue between the players and the GM. Um, and traditional games are, tend to have GMs. Um, and then the other... Maybe it's not necessarily obviously it's not a binary, but the other another style of role playing tabletop role playing games are indie, as in indie music. So they're smaller, um, and they tend to have a broader range of themes. Um, but most of those are miserable. <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, I don't know. Yes and no. I think it's like I've compared like trad. Uh, Role-playing games is the mass market, like comic book movie kind of thing. So indie role-playing games are the art house film. Nice. Uh, you know, three people have seen it, and they're you know, and it's very weird. <laughs> but those three people, they really, really, <laughs> they love really, it. really, really love it. Yeah, <laughs> and maybe yeah, it's maybe darker in tone sometimes. Uh, so the difference is, yeah, the themes. There tends to be fewer mechanics. Um, there's some games, you know, without any dice at all. Um, and there's there are indie games with a GM, but there's more indie games. Uh, there's also lots of indie games without a GM. Uh, so in that, so those kind of games sometimes get called story games. 
And that's a situation where uh, every player also has some responsibility for defining the world. So it's not defining the world isn't in one person's role; it's in everyone's role. Yeah. So that's the sort of brief rundown of like tabletop front role playing in some ways. Yeah. Um, and so with story gaming, there's immediately um, you can see the parallels with improv, and there's, I mean, I think if you're doing trad gaming it can still lead to improv potentially but if you're already doing story gaming it's only really a step away from well from yeah I, I i think uh, so there is to explain for the listeners like every small culture your nearest neighbor is your worst enemy <laughs> so there's this big sort of uh in some ways you know culture divide between trad and indie gamers we like to like bitch about each other a lot um but in reality that's i think in terms of skill set and what you're doing i think that's it's not that big a divide uh and so one good uh place where sort of more traditional role playing overlaps with improv uh is the jolly boat team oh, yeah. made this show they call role play cabaret which is a sort of traditional GM adventurer with basically them on stage being the GM and the audience as a whole sort of acting as a player so oh, wow. they, they get to uh, like contribute things both in writing for the show shouting out things and also um, there's certain situations where you have like three options and you, you get like you know colored cards and the audience votes on which option you take wow that's Great. So that's maybe an example of overlap between yes. improv, no more traditional. No, that's really cool. So did you did you skip over the trad gaming phase and go straight for indie? Uh, so this is the original question. Actually, no. I I did play one campaign of fourth edition Dungeons Dragons. And that's a really hard edition to play. <laughs> no, well, yeah. It is for someone that isn't very good with rules. I'm thinking of myself. Okay, yeah, yeah. So yeah, fourth edition is very mechanical. In some ways, it's uh, it's just very honest about what it's yeah. aiming to do. Um, it's a war game. Yeah, the Dungeons Dragons was originally a war game yeah. uh, with, with the role playing, and I think even in other editions, I think that would be my critique of Dungeons and Dragons, um, is that the rules aren't actually written to do what it, it says on the box. <laughs> um, so, so it, what is it promising and what is it not delivering then? Well, it says it's a role playing game, but it's actually a war game. Oh right, in the sense that. All the rules are about how you resolve a combat situation. Yes, 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 yes. yes. And the role playing is actually, a, I must say that there are some rules for like social interaction, I think, and social <laughs> contacts. But mostly the role playing is just done by talking about it, yeah. and and is done by the players rather than done by the rules. Yeah. Um, and that might be contrasted with something like Apocalypse World, uh, which is an example of a, a game where you know the rules impact everything in some way. Um, yeah, so I think I just realised it wasn't necessarily the game for me. And I think that reason is it's the same reason I don't really watch many like comic book superhero movies. It's not my thing. So um, it's not your thing because... I think it's just themes um, that, like, e even in movies, like, I get slightly bored of explosions. Um, 
but I'm, I'm more interested in you know the sort of maybe whether there's sort of a deeper meaning or or more about the relationships between the characters yes right. which once again brings us back to improv so uh, what how long were you playing in this campaign for uh, I can't remember it was a while ago like, I think four or five weeks but it, it was enjoyable it's, it's, uh, I've just moved moved sideways on it I was I was happy to go yeah I was, I was playing it for seven years and I just <laughs> wasn't really enjoying it but it was difficult to leave um, okay so um, I think a lot of people um, Dungeons and Dragons it's in the mainstream enough so people can discover it mm-hmm. you know it's everyone knows what it is from going back years when there was all these worries about it being satanic and all that sort of nonsense. Um, but your indie games, that is niche. And how did you discover that there was something beyond Dungeons & Dragons? Uh, I think it's just through Meetup. Uh, so there's a website, meetup.com, for meeting people and doing things. And yeah, this London indie RPG uh, group that I was talking about is on there. So that's how I found about it. And yeah, it's a good, peop- good group of people. They meet uh, once a month, um, Sometimes, actually, more than once a month, and you just get together and people bring along games they want to play and play them. Can you remember what you played first time you went along? Um, I think, I think it was like uh, I can't remember the name of the game. I think it's called the Regiment, but it's like a World War Two hack of Apocalypse World. Right. Uh, and then I think I played Intrepid as well. But, uh, which is a game written by one of the members, which is sort of world building and fantasy adventuring, well, generally fantasy adventuring, which is quite nice. Because um, uh, one of the things I like about indie um, indie gaming is generally the rules are a lot shorter, because I'm not very good with rules, uh, I can't really understand them. So uh, if you can get a game where the rules and the character sheet are on one side of A4, suddenly I'm on board. <laughs> There's a, a game called Vast and Starlet, which is sort of like Blake 7, uh, the role-playing game. Uh, is that the only way you have to draw a picture for the creator before they'll send you a copy of it? Uh, yeah, that was a, you can now buy it. Oh, right, you can now uh, buy it, right. Okay. But yeah, basically it's a role-playing game written on set, uh, set of like business, ca- business cards that you can put in your wallet. Uh, but it does actually take like two, three hours to... It can run like a full session, like two, three hours. And it can run a campaign, I think, in theory, like more than that. Yeah. Uh, just on this little business card. It's wow. quite marvellous. Um, when I went along to the meet, uh, I played Lady Blackbird. Uh, and I thought, oh, yeah, no, I like this. I can do this. I understand this. As I say, the instructions and the character sheet were all on one side of A4. This is manageable. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I didn't realise at the time uh, that there wasn't... Actually, one of the nice things about indie gaming is the lack of prep. In the fact that it is, well, I'm not saying for all of them, but for, you know, in a traditional game, you have to prepare the dungeon and whatever. Whereas within the indie games I played, it's like, here you are, here's something I've written on the bus, go, sort of thing, which I really love. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you were um, going along to the uh, indie RPG meetup, and um, so how did you get from that into doing improv? I just thought it would be nice to try just uh, sort of to build skills and uh, then I think it was then I think enjoyed it and realised it's like personally useful to me um, and it's a different yeah like everyone you just sort of fall into the world 
I, I wouldn't say that um, in any scene that I'm involved in that I'm the most like hardcore person. So I'm not. <laughs> so I'm not the kind of improviser knows every improviser and okay. everything. Um, nor the same about role-playing games. I'm sort of, I'm a dabbler naturally. You straddle both worlds like a yeah. colossus. Yeah, and I also yeah, and I'm also involved in LARP as well. So well a bit, um, which is the other thing to talk about maybe. Yeah, cool, definitely. Um, so you said that you uh, your first experience of improv was in pro- with Imprology. Yeah. How did you find that? Uh, it's really nice. Yeah, I think Remy's doing really interesting things, um, and you know maybe a bit different from some of the other London schools. Yeah. Uh, his thing is all kind of focused on connection, really emotions, uh, and less on the structural stuff. Well, he might have changed since I last talked to class with him, but that's his sort of focus. Um, so yeah, it's good for like opening you up. Um, have you done those? Is it the Love Explosion night? Yeah, I've been to those. How does fit, that work? For a few times. Yeah, so it's a participatory improv show. So everyone who goes along has to put their name in a hat. Uh, they pick out two names and you go on stage for two minutes and improvise something. So it's a jam, but um, you get a lot of people who've never done improv before, which yeah. is really nice. Um, and the audience is also always really incredibly supportive because everyone knows that they're also going on stage. So <laughs> it creates a really nice environment. Yeah. Uh, and it tends to be very different each month because you get different people and it changes the vibe. Because I find uh, I find jams terrifying. <laughs> it's like I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen, and I suppose I should be embracing that. But I just find it terrifying. Like, I don't know what this person's going to do. Help! Yeah, I I think that's always like that's pure improv in some sense. There's like the challenge heightened. I think the only fi- thing I find particularly about that night where you only tend to get one scene is that you sort of get in. You're not quite ready for it. You get into it, and then it's already over. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think that's true of all jams in some ways. Like, yeah. Uh, you don't get the time, but I think it is a good way of like challenging your yourself to yes. see if you can get yourself to improvise on command. Too scared. Uh, cool. So, um, we with Imprology for long, or did you do, just do a term? Or? Uh, I did, like, uh, two. Beginners, or no, one beginners, two immediate and advanced, and the advanced is the one with the show. Oh, right. So, yeah, I went through the treadmill, as it were. Right. And then you moved on to... Um, who did I go to? The nursery. I could, oh, yeah. took a couple of uh, courses, shortish courses with them. Uh, I see my work on a uh, long-form one. And then, yeah, the other thing I did was uh, the hoopla. I did uh, the long-form narrative. Oh, cool. With Steve. Uh, and did you find having come from, you know, a story gang background, did that help you with improv, or did it just just help you with narrative improv? Or I think they are different things. So in some ways, um, so it's, it's complex to unpick in some ways. Um, tabletop is very different from LARP, and LARP is a lot more similar to improv. Um, because in tabletop you're not moving around and you do experience emotions and you do emote but maybe not as strongly so a lot of the improv things or like round connection maybe don't apply but 
as you said, this all the narrative stuff still applies of like keeping the focus, building the intensity, you know, knowing where to push and where to hold back. So I think those those skills definitely overlap in some ways. Um, and RPGs, you're generally a bit more. You have more stuff. You're, you're more supported. Um, it's not just you on stage. Mm-hmm. So that makes it a different experience as well. Yeah, no, I can see that. Um, you've mentioned Apocalypse World a couple of times. That seems to be... Maybe we could just sort of talk a little bit about that for people that haven't played it because it seems to be the engine that a lot of other indie games also run off, or is that just my perception? There are a lot of Apocalypse World hacks out there, or is that... Yeah, I think that's true. Um, what was it about that that made it so hackable? Um, I think... I did... I don't, as I said, I'm not like the most well-versed on RPG history, but yeah, it came along, made a big impression, and a lot of the people who played, played off that and adapted it for different settings. And what we mean by hack in this case is that, so Apocalypse World, the game is set in like a post-apocalypse setting, um, and it's sort of weird post-apocalyptic. And then other people have written other versions, um, which like, change the setting, so a couple of popular ones, there's Monster Hearts, which is like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, Teenage Supernatural Romance. Uh, uh, and then there's Night Witches, which is something that came out fairly recently, which is uh, World War II Soviet air women. Oh, wow. Um, so the, the, to talk, give a very brief overview of what Apocalypse World is, is it is a game with a GM, so there's one person sort of describing the world, mostly, and then other people just playing one character, generally. And the way it's structured is supposed to be sort of a conversation mm. about what's happening in the fiction. So you just talk about things. And then there's each player character has a set of moves sometimes specific to the type of character they're playing. And those moves have uh, conditions. And when the condition is met, they kick in and you, you roll some dice and uh, result some things. And the GM player also has moves. And those moves are generally about making the player's lives worse. <laughs> <laughs> it brings me back to the miserable... Misery, nature yeah, it's of it's just sort of, uh, you know, it's well, sort of... Uh, it's narrative, isn't it? You can't yeah, have, you know... It's a machine to keep the drama moving. Yeah, basically. yeah. Cool. Um, so, uh, you um, recently collaborated with The Nursery on Open Roads. Now, how did that come about? Because that came from gaming as well? Yeah, so... Sort of, I feel... Uh, both tabletop and LARP, um, uh, they're sort of separate communities from improv in some ways. There are, is some crossover, um, but in some ways it's something un- unknown or separate from the improv community. Did you move into LARP before you did the nursery? Yeah. Um, Should we talk about the LARP stuff and then that, that feeds in, yeah? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, because I know there's, there's Nordic LARPs, is that mm-hmm. right? And then there's, is there American ones as well? I can't remember what, it, can't remember what the definitions are. Sure. Uh, so, so, yeah, 
to just recap, so LARP is live action role playing. Apparently now you should write LARP as a word itself. It's really? Place. Uh, <laughs> just, just yeah, it's good to, know. to clarify. <laughs> um, and it's, it actually, I think, originally evolved out of tabletop of uh, people dressing up as like, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings characters and running around the woods. Um, so it's, you know, role playing where you're inhabiting the characters. Uh, in some ways, it's in, like improv, but without an audience there. Right. And um, that's an interesting thing to talk about, maybe at some point. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's similar. Um, the difference between the mainstream and underground in, in table in LARP is with everything else. So, most LARP is lots of people in the woods hitting each other with foam swords. D6 about, damage, D6 damage, D6 damage. Yeah. Uh, you know, doing fantasy stories. Have you done that side of it as well? No, I haven't actually. You uh, skipped the trad <laughs> LARPing, went straight to the indie LARPing. Yeah. It? And then there's something called Nordic LARP. It's also some kind called uh, Progressive LARP. Sort of evolved in the Nordic countries. And again, that's comparable to sort of MD tabletop. So more diverse um, sort of set of themes and maybe less rules and yeah it's sort of the indie art house thing and then the american thing you were talking about was probably american freeform yes that's what i'm thinking of so this is another thing which is sort of it's kind of it's a very loose thing but it's something that crosses between tabletop and larp Um, so an example might be the rules involved like standing up and moving around you can't play it at a table but maybe you're not inhabiting one character maybe your role is like more generic than that maybe you're just narrating the story rather than acting it out yeah so it's something that sort of sits between the two in some ways wow um so which what what direction did you go in and how did you get into it um so i think the first LARP I ever played so there's a performance artist called Adam James right. who got involved and found out about LARPing and got involved about it and he run a set of uh, pub games to the public at the Proud Artivist um, all from this uh, book of LARPs called LARPs from the Factory and so I think the first game I played was with him uh, which was a mother's heart. What's the name? Yeah, it's a, a sort of a game where you sort of a Kafkaesque game where you put on trial uh, a woman for or a player for being a bad, bad mother. Really? <laughs> Shouldn't laugh. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I think that was the first thing I played, and then I, I think there's sort of less of a regular scene in London, but that's changing now. Um, so I've played a few uh, games in London and then this year I think is the year I got more involved so I went to this um, conference called I'm going to pronounce this badly uh, um which is a Nordic LARP conference right. and it moves between different uh, countries each year in the Nordic countries um, and so I played a lot there and also there's lots of talks and workshops. Yeah. And I think that's a 
it's a great atmosphere and it's a great thing. And I think it would be I'd, I'd encourage improvisers uh, to check it out. The next one, because it's changed country, it's changed language. So the next one is actually called Sumukuta and it's happening in March, um, actually on a cruise ship, uh, which is the first year they've tried it, going between, uh, yeah, Stockholm, I think, and Helsinki. So, uh, yeah, check it out, because I think a lot of stuff is relevant to improvise, and you're laughing a lot. <laughs> I'll keep going. Just, uh, I don't know why I find it so funny, but I think I find it funny because it sounds like, yeah, does this, does this sound likely? I mean, obviously I know it's the truth. It's like, yeah, well, there's not only, there's not any role playing, but then there's like, there's indie role playing, and then there's kind of like, there's a LARP version of indie role playing, and then we do it in the Nordic countries, and it's on a boat. <laughs> Yeah, this thing keeps changing because it's in a different country every year. <laughs> yeah, so this is basically it's the big uh, like uh, Nordic LARP conference, um, that's sort of being in their scene. Uh, so yeah, it's a really interesting uh, place to go to because a lot of the stuff is on techniques for you know creating and playing characters, which is obviously relevant for improv. Yeah. Um, so I think it's worth checking out, uh, and it's a very inclusive environment, so it's worth checking out if you're not, even if you're not a Nordic LARP, is what I'm saying. Uh, and then the other thing that I did this year uh, was I played my first like big uh, multi-day immersive LARP, uh, and it was called it's a game called Just a Little Loving, which has right. been run five times actually, and I played it this year. Uh, it's about uh, it's broadly about the AIDS crisis in the eighties um, and the impact it had on the gay community, and it's also about the alternative America like spiritual community in the 80s as well whoa <laughs> that sounds like a lot of uh, ground to cover I suppose in a, in a, in a day so how, how did that day work where was it how was it organised that sort of thing yeah so it's actually it took place in Denmark in this sort of like holiday camp place it it took place over a week um, so there was some introduction some workshopping so uh, LARP like Nordic LARP generally includes workshopping, which is sort of things like improv games to get you to warm up and connect and be in the right hand space. So it was some of that. Then there was three days of the game. Uh, so basically there was three acts representing the years uh, 1982 to 1984. Yeah. Uh, each act was from 5 p.m. in the evening to uh, 11 a.m., the next morning. Wow. Uh, and then, well, 12 a.m. Um, and then between there was a bit of debrief and yeah. uh, rest. Uh, and then some further debrief, the last one. Uh, and then basically the the conceit of the LARP was that this was three 4th of July parties held in, like, uh, Saratoga and upstate New York yeah, yeah. Uh, over, the, over these three years. Yeah. Uh, and... As the AIDS crisis was going on, um, people were dying, and that was having an impact on the community. Wow, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it, it was a massive head fuck, and probably changed my life. Yeah. So. No, that sounds that sounds amazing. I'm just even the idea I find sort of find it slightly terrifying, but mainly amazing. It's like you know, just I don't know having that that shared created universe for that period of time. Yeah, I can imagine it must be life-changing. 
Yeah, I think that's the uh, interesting thing about LARP is partly is the effect of removing the audience. Yes. So there's nothing to, there's less things to remind you this is fiction. Right. And so, especially if you do it over a long period of time and then there's, and it's immersive environment, so there's costumes and so on. Yes. You get more towards the possessive element. Right. And there's some, some, I went to an interesting talk at Canoopunk about the overlap between sort of LARP and shamanistic possession. Brilliant. Uh, so in these big games, and I definitely had it in Just a Little Loving, um, you have moments where you suddenly realise it's not, it's all fiction. Yeah. And it's very, very, very strange. Wow. That sounds amazing. I had not considered the crossover between LARPing and the shamanic experience. I think that and... For me, those and improv and all those kind of things, I think it's sort of, that's why they work in some ways, in the sense that they're tapping on, this must be some element of human beings or the nature of human beings or the nature of how mind works, that we can improvise and that we can create fictions and that we can like, operate in different headspaces. And for me, that's something those kind of practices tap into that is the common root with shamanism is, and is the reason why these practices are everywhere and have always existed. So, by shamanism, um, is your definition travelling to another realm and then returning with an answer or some sort of wisdom, or is that...? Yeah, no, sorry, I think I've just realised I've used the wrong word. The right word is probably ritual. Right. Or imagination. Sort of all these kind of... I think it is... Yeah, the right word is ritual. Right. Of being in a separate, different space. And your perception of things maybe changes and your perception of reality maybe changes within that space. Yes. That's really interesting. I'm going to go away and think about that. Because the other thing, yeah, the really other really cool thing that I did at Moonpunked was on the Saturday night during the party, we did this, apparently it's like, I think it's the Norwegians, apparently this is a thing, that they always do these big rituals. But basically we did this sort of improvised uh, uh, shamanic type uh, group ritual. Yeah. Um, but I think 100 people or something. Um, and yeah, it was a really interesting head state to be in. That sort of pure, very intense like group mind head state yeah. of that you sometimes get an improv things are happening and you feel part of it, but you don't necessarily feel in control. It feels very automatic mm. that you're all like moving together. So what, what were you doing when you were in this ritual? Just making noises, yeah. uh, making movements, like moving around in circles, yeah. like clapping, shouting things. So just 
just as you might imagine in like an improv game. Yeah. But yeah, I played with a hundred people. Uh, so there's a lot writer and academic called Eric Fatland. I think he started it actually, uh, this particular ritual, but he um, he does it a lot. I think or writes about it. Um, he's there's some notes on his website about how you might do this, and it's something I did with the Open Roads cast of we sort of improvised like an in- initiation ritual, <laughs> right? Uh, which is like something I went through in. Just a, just as an attempt of a way of like bonding the cast yeah. a bit more, like making them feel like a, a group. Cool. So let's let's um, let's talk about that. And so, how did so was did was it the the call for um, original formats that the nursery sent out that you responded to, or how did you get involved? Uh, how did I get involved? So the origin story. Um, is so open roads is an improvised road trip movie uh, driven by audience song suggestions and the format is an adaption of an existing story game called ribbon drive by uh avery mcdonald and as i said i have this idea that maybe things from larp and improv uh, sorry larp and rpgs maybe add a different element to improv and Maybe it's worth exploring um, what can be brought across, particularly in terms of more structured formats. So I had this idea of like what would happen if you played Room and Drive on stage. Could you make a show out of it? I did a few uh, workshops on it, um, and was sort of wondering what the next step was going to be. So you ran some workshops on it. Yeah, yeah, just so, trying it out. So how? Ha- how, how did those workshops? What, what? How did the workshops work? What did, what did you do in those? Yeah. So this first, this open roads project, or the first project, I, I just wanted to see can we make ribbon drive the game into a show. So it was just basically playing it and figuring out what we needed to change to make it work on stage. Um, and that so the early stages of the process. So I had a point where I thought, oh, okay, this idea actually has some legs. No, then I was thinking, like, how do I get this to a stage? And then that's when I found out about this nursery originals program. Oh, cool. So, um, how does ribbon drive the game work? And then I'd be interested to know what you had to change to make it into a show. Sure. Um, yeah. So ribbon drive is a game. It's actually a tabletop game. So you traditionally play it sit around the table. You can also play it as a LARP. I think it works in some ways there's arguments for playing it as a LARP. Um, it's a bit more powerful. Um, it's a it's supposed to tell like a indie road trip movie story like Itumama Tambien uh, or Little Miss Sunshine is actually a great example as well. Um, the way you play that game is you make music mixtapes beforehand. Um, ideally each player like, makes a mi- mixtape of music. Uh, each mixtape has like a, a common theme around it it's quite a fun activity to do and you bring those along and then you listen to the first two songs and the first two songs sort of give you um an overview of the story uh specifically the first song is about where you as a group are going on this road trip and why 
Right. So you listen to that song and then brainstorm around and decide where and why you're going. So are you um, are you taking the mood of the music, the content of the lyrics, or just anything from the song that you get from the song? Anything. It's like asking for a call out, but you have the song and then you, you yeah. build from that. Yeah, yeah. You listen to it. Traditionally, yeah, you listen to it in silence and then build from there. And I think music is a good source of inspiration for these kind of things because it's like the right amount of detail. As in, it's not overly prescriptive, but it does give people a lot of things and gives people a lot of ideas. So you don't have like this blank state problem. So you do that, and then you listen to the the second song, and the second song tells you more about the characters. And I won't talk too much about the rules, but I think so. The the sort of core rule of what makes Ribbon Drive and Open Roads work is each character has a, a future, which is something that might happen in the character's future. Like, uh, I will fall in love, um, I will go back to law school and get my degree, those kind of things. Yeah. Uh, and it's those kind of things that you see resolved in this traditional roadship movie. Um, so, Little Miss Sunshine, it might be like, I want to win this pageant, something like that. And then the point is, is that the game and the story is about whether those things come true for the character All right. or whether the character stops caring about them or or they don't happen. Um, and it's a sort of a yeah, if, if no, yes, no question for each character. Cool. Um, so you ran some workshops on the game. This was with um, gamers, or was this with improvisers? Improvisers, with yeah. Improvisers. So it was workshops specifically looking at can we make this a show, basically. Oh, cool. And then uh, once you'd kind of worked out that you could, that's when the nursery opportunity came along and you got involved with them, is that right? Yeah. So the nursery is doing this thing, sort of inspired by the hideout theatre in Austin, where they want to expand what the range and style of improv is in London. Uh, so they're running this programme called Nursery Originals, whereby you pitch a show to them. Uh, unfortunately, uh, pitches for next year have just closed recently. And if they accept your pitch, they're doing like one season then you get some rehearsal space, some help with auditioning, and importantly, you get show dates at the Edric Centre. Mm. So when you pitched it, what form did that take? Did you have to go along and... Was it written? Was it... Did you have to go along and explain your idea, or...? Uh, yeah, it's just a written application on the website and then a phone call afterwards. Yeah. Cool. Um, so uh, can you tell me about the audition process? Were you looking for particular things, or were you just seeing... I don't know. How, how, how did you, how did that work? Yeah, uh, so then, the thing I should say now is that, uh, so I, through the original process, I also got a co-director, Luke Behan, uh, who's a great improviser, and yeah, we, we had a call out, we figured out who we wanted to audition, then the audition process was like a set of uh, games where focusing on things we thought would be important. Improv games or role-playing games? Improv, yeah. So it was all improv, so it was all yeah. aim, aiming at the show. 
and yeah, it was an interesting process. It was like the first first ever improv audition I'd been to, and I was running it, <laughs> helping run it with Luke. Um, so that was uh, interesting process to, yeah. to go through. But yeah, I think we were just look, looking for the people who were doing the right kind of improv. I yeah. think uh, for open roads, I think one thing that felt was important that, that it's not. It can be funny, but it's not necessarily a comedy show. Yeah, yeah. So people interested in that kind of improv, and people who are emotionally expressive and so on. But yeah, it was it was we got a lot of good people, so it was kind of hellish having to yeah. make the decision. God, yeah, I can imagine. Um, so once you got your team together, how long were you rehearsing for? Was it a couple of weeks or well, four weeks? Yeah, four weeks, t- twice a week. Right. Okay. I don't know whether that sounds a lot. That doesn't sound a lot. Uh, no, just eight. Yeah. It's not a lot, but yeah, uh, it was, I think what helped us is that we, we, we actually changed the format during the rehearsal actually, but we had sort of a vision for the show and we were going somewhere, I think. So that helped, I think. And that we had a lot, we had really good people as well. Yeah. We do have really good people. So, um, so what did you have to change from the game to make it the show? Yeah, I think that's a, an interesting discussion point. So, I think one big thing is that in role-playing games and in LARP, you, there's opportunities to break character. Yeah. And also in tabletop role-playing games, there's lots of opportunities to write things down. So, in Ribbon Drive, each character has two futures. And you also want to remember the other character's futures because you can... An important point is like, your character pressing on them to help them resolve it. Right, yeah. Um, but it turns out improvisers can't remember eight things. <laughs> like, it's really difficult. And even actually remembering four things uh, in the moment yes. uh, is pretty difficult. So that was one interesting thing. And then obviously we had to change sort of the setup process, like listening to the whole song and then brainstorming it isn't really an attractive yeah. thing to happen on stage. Yeah. And I think there's also a style difference between um, RPGs and improvisers. Um, so people that all throw cabbages at me for saying this. <laughs> but I, I tend, partly from the experience of running Ribbon Drive after I'd done some of the show rehearsals, like role playing games, gamers tend to prefer to work things some more stuff out for the scenes, right, like yes. of who their character is, and they're more averse to starting from a completely blank state. Whereas improvisers hate that; <laughs> uh, they just want to start and do yeah. it in emotion. So yeah, so we adapted the the setup process to make it more attractive. Uh, sort of to simplify it so that yeah the improviser didn't have to remember quite so many things uh, when they were performing. Yeah, to reduce the number of futures and then, yeah, change that. Um, and then I think other interesting things we found is that with Open Roads, we went with uh, explicitly framed scenes. All right. Um, so what I mean by that is that in a lot of improv shows, you would just walk on stage and start miming things and grab people. So if you wanted to set the next, if, if you felt you wanted to set the next scene 
into the kitchen, you would just try and start mumming kitchen things and hope it. Yes. You get a kitchen scene. Yes. Uh, with open roads, we've done like explicit flaming, and again, that's something that is generally done in LARP and role playing games, where why one person comes up and says, "We were in the kitchen," oh, wow. and then you start the scene. Yeah, I quite like that. I quite like the economy of it, and as an audience member, I don't mind that I haven't had to work out where we are, and if I've been told where I am, I don't know. I quite like that. I think that's quite a nice thing to do. Yeah, I think it was maybe. Uh, I think in the process of you know doing it in rehearsal, I realised maybe that's something that happens less uh, in improv. But I think it works well. I think. I think in some ways it's necessary for open roads, um, because the because you're sort of the characters are on this journey. The number of places the next scene could be is a bit more restricted right? to make it, keep it all together. Yes. Make it make sense. Uh, yeah. So, um, if, 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 so, so if it's restrictive, is there then a need to actually say that we are in this place? Is it not easier for everyone to work out where we are? Yeah, and no, I realised I made that point and after I said it, I wasn't clear in my head of what I meant. <laughs> um, but I think it's just useful, I think. Yeah. The, basically, I, we found it useful in the show to be explicit like where we are yeah. in the journey and what kind of location. Uh, and I think it also played well because you can sort of... Uh, use it to angle things in the scene as well. Yeah. So you can say, I think we had one point, like, uh, someone say, you know, they were in back in their car on the road talking about their previous relationships. Oh, right, so yeah. So you can use it to angle the scene in a ah, certain direction. Yeah, no, I think that's a really powerful thing to do. Um, and you've mentioned before about one of the differences between uh, role-playing and improv uh, being the audience. So obviously you had an audience for Open Roads, um, aside from not being able to listen to the songs all the way through and brainstorm, did that also change the, the way in which the story was told? Yeah, I think maybe if I talk about it generally rather than respect to Open Roads, um, I think it's really interesting uh, distinction um, coming down to what an audience exactly is. And recently I was helping Adam James uh, run something called, what he called this time the Beholder Controller, which was like sort of kind of an improv game of uh, creating some creatures uh, which are made up of several people moving together right. and then the creatures interact. <laughs> uh, and he's run it a lot of times. He's run it to Tate a lot. Um, but we ran it at the... Uh, 176 gallery um the other week and it's the first time he'd run it like doing the creature creation process and so on in public so there was there were people playing this game but there were other people walking around and viewing the art uh viewing the art right and it's the interesting thing is that it didn't feel like a performance or and the people afterwards reported that they felt okay with like doing that like making all these silly noises and funny motions. 
Whereas I feel like if you'd put them on the stage, the, the atmosphere would be different. For me, and that's, I think that's a, an interesting distinction maybe between what an obser- someone observing something and like an audience member. Mm-hmm. And I think my current tack on this, partly driven by things Eric Fatland said, is that actually an audience is like another role in the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's not just like a person, but it's a person with a specific role. Um, because there are things they can do, like talk or walk about, which will earn them derision. Like they're not supposed to do those things. Yeah. Uh, and so that it's sort of a ritual, ritualistic role thing that they have this role, and that you're when you're performing, you're being defined as being looked at. Uh, so that changes things, and. I think the fundamental thing that changes is like the feeling. There's a sort of feeling of being on stage, um, maybe sort of slightly pressurised, nervous feeling, maybe, yeah. um, that you feel that you don't have when you just do LARP. And your head accelerates like, you know, 30 seconds feels like 30 minutes yes. Yes, yes. when you're in that head state. And again, that's an aspect of being uh, a performer on stage. And being in that that space, uh, so that changes, and then I think the other difference with LARP, it's not so much the tape with tabletop, is that in LARP, one of the things they say is that the audience is in everyone's head, so there's not necessarily one cohesive and coherent story. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, this game I played called Just a Little Loving. There was sixty people playing. So it was like being at a party. So there were, you know, some people I had a lot of interaction with and I knew well and I knew a lot of their story. Other people I never really interacted or with and they had an entirely separate experience. Yes. Uh, maybe you can get that um, sometimes in some like immersive theatre stuff. And I think immersive theatre is also an interesting attack on it um, because it, it is like LARP in the sense that you're in this environment, you know, it's an immersive environment, you're moving around and you're not just sitting there watching something. Mm-hmm. But it is definitely theatre in the respect that uh, you're being, something is being performed to you. Yes. You're not uh, participating. And also the feeling, you feel that the actors are in a different Space or on a different level to you, and then there's like a feeling of separation. Mm, yes, that you feel like you're an audience member. Yes, that's uh, really interesting. Okay, final question. You mentioned at the beginning that role playing. You said that it had personal benefits. It changed your life. How how's role playing? Um, no, sorry, that's my mistake. In my mind. Improv and role playing are the same thing, and so quite often yeah. I switch between the two. Uh, so what I meant to say was improv. Um, well, I like that. Improv or role playing? How have they changed your life? Yeah, I think in a lot of ways. I think um, in improv classes, I tend I tend to feel there's sort of two types of people. There's like 
people who have creative day jobs, who are like actors, comedians, who are taking this as like training to help them editions or whatever, and people who in their day jobs don't improvise at all and are help, helping taking it as like personal skills building, so like tech people. And I am, spoiler, a tech person. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it was it's very useful for like soft skills and connection uh, related things and uh, the ability to like throw yourself in without having, necessarily having planned it all out. I think that improv is really helpful for those things. Um, and I think in the role-playing side of things, I think the most life, life-changing thing was probably uh, this laugh I was talking about, just a little loving. Uh, I think what was impactful about that is to sort of go through the experience of like being a doomed de- generation in some sense. Yeah. And you know, knowing that a lot of your friends are probably going to die and when you're in LARP you like that's a very real feeling uh, of going through that uh, without having anyone I know die, actually die yeah. uh, I think it's a very valuable experience that sounds brilliant right well on the subject of all our friends dying I think that's probably we should probably leave it there <laughs> okay, that's on. a proper that's a proper indie RPG way of finishing it <laughs> yeah Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. I made this. That's improv! That's improv.